He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and praise. Our Jesus, that's all I got to talk about today is something of the glory of Jesus as we're looking at the story in the book of Mark. And uh, you know, that song pretty much preached my whole sermon for me, so maybe I can be real quick. I have a bum foot, so I got to sit down and, uh, and, and preach. But it's, hey, the word of God is powerful, even if you can't stand up, right? We're looking at Mark chapter 3. Mark 3, starting at verse 7 and going to the 19th verse. And before I read the passage, I want to tell you that in the beginning, oh, I don't need this, in the beginning, there was community, and the community was good. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect, loving, supportive, beautiful community. And they created a couple of people in their own image, Adam and Eve. And it was still a beautiful community because Adam and Eve were healthy and happy and holy and flourishing in God's beautiful world. There were no sirens. (laughs) There was nothing to cry about, nothing to get mad about, nothing to worry about. Nothing to cuss about. And the best thing about it was these two human beings loved being with God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They couldn't get enough of the all-satisfying God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who loved them with a perfect love. And when you've got people that are knowing God and loving God and knowing each other and loving each other, life is good. But then something happened. Just three chapters into the whole Bible, right at the very beginning, just before we get a chance to say, wow, wasn't that beautiful? Sin enters the world. And when sin came in the world, sin said to death, you want to come too? And death said, sure, why not? And so the Bible says that sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And now we live with death. We've got gun violence, we got systemic racism, we got abortion, we got suicide. All creation is groaning, and the world is a mess, and relationships are a mess, and our bodies are a mess, and our hearts are a mess. What is the solution? Where is it all going? Well, you know, a lot of people have different ideas as to what to do with the world. We could fix this. Some folks thought that America would be the light to the nations. There was a popular book in the 70s that painted a picture of America being a light to the nations. And it said, could it be that we Americans as a people were meant to be a light to the Gentiles? 
quoting from Luke 2.32, which is actually about Jesus. <laughs> a demonstration to the world of how God intended his children to live together under the lordship of Christ. It's the 4th of July, and I am thankful for my country. I'm thankful that we can do this without worrying about secret police. Um, but I don't see our country as the light to the nations. I see Jesus as the light to the nations. We are strangers and aliens in a land that is not our own. And the Bible says, when you're in a land that's not your own, this is what you do. Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, and seek the peace and the prosperity of the city the Lord your God has put you in. And we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our city of Philadelphia. We need to pray for those in authority. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city the Lord your God has put you in. For when they prosper, so will you. So America is not the answer. Great place to be, but it's not the answer. Some folks think politics is going to fix it. If only everybody had my views, then everything would be fine. Right? Wrong. Some folks trust in peaceful evolution. I, I was on a phone with a customer not too long ago, and, and she said, look, I've got to change my appointment. I'm so sorry. I said, hey, no problem. I was being pretty chill and okay about it. She says, she says you're so evolved. <laughs> How does that work? When evolution depends on the survival of the fittest, when the strong eat the weak and only the strong survive... How is it that you end up with peace from people evolving? I don't know. But you can imagine. Imagine there is no country. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You imagine. But, you know, you're still not going to get to the answer. So what is the answer? Is it just going to stay broken? Do you believe the world is broken? We do. We're just saying that. Let's look at Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 19, and keep that question rumbling around in your head. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Demea and from the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many. So that all who had diseases pressed around to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You're the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Let's stop there for just a minute. We'll get to the other part of the passage. Jesus is serious about restoring what is broken in us and what is broken in our world. In our true story about Jesus, he left the town where, and he quit arguing with the religious leaders, and now he's healing thousands of people. It could be tens of thousands, what the Greek phrase, big crowd, kind of means. 
on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the, there, there's so many people, he says, you've got to have an escape car for me. Uh, you know, a, a getaway car. Put the boat right there at the shore so I can kind of like back off when everybody's, you know, I, I don't need to be crushed in the middle of this. But everybody is desperate to come to Jesus because their diseases and, their, and, and, and the, the fact that their, their lives are dominated by demons are driving them to Jesus Christ. Their lives are broken by sickness and demons, and they're desperate people who need Jesus because there isn't hope in anybody else or anything else. That's why Jesus has such a big crowd, a crowd of thousands of messed up people with messed up lives who know that Jesus could do something about their messes. Jesus has gotten big like a rock star. Grace and I saw Stevie Wonder in Philadelphia. And we didn't see him in a room like this. We didn't see him at the Keswick Theater. He's too big. We didn't see him at the Theater of the Living Arts. He's too big. We had to go to a stadium, a whole stadium in South Philly where they do the sports things (laughs) to see Stevie Wonder because he's too big. And the same thing's happening to Jesus. He's too big. Nobody wanted him to come speak at their house. They didn't want to fix the roof again. (laughs) If you were here a few weeks ago, you know what I'm talking about. But the beautiful thing here, the beautiful thing is that when Jesus sees the crowds coming, he had compassion on them and he delights in restoring people's broken lives. Amen. Amen. Jesus delights in restoring people's broken lives. He taught everybody. He healed sick people. He set people free from the devil's grip. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus is in the business of restoration of everything that got broken when sin and death came into the world. It's disease, demon possession, deep pain that is driving these people to Jesus You know something? Desperation can be a good thing when it drives you to Jesus. And I want to hear some, I want you to hear something loud and clear. Don't wait until you're better before you start seeking the Lord. Don't wait till you got it fixed before you join a life group. Don't wait till you got it all under control before you start coming here regularly on Sunday mornings and worshiping with the people of God because we are all a mess and we all need Jesus all the time and we come to Jesus as we are, messes that we are, and we come, Jesus, you're my only hope, you're all I got, I'm a mess, I need you. So whatever... Let whatever causes you grief and pain drive you to Jesus, the only one who can help. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. Don't wait till you're better before you get to Jesus. Just come on to Jesus. Just the mess that you are. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Jesus is full of compassion, and he's ready to heal all who come to him. But Jesus' long-term plan for the world was not to have a megachurch in Galilee. So let's get to the rest of the passage. It says in, chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 3 of Mark, And he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and he called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus wants his preaching and his healing and his victory over the devil to be worldwide, multicultural, multi-generational, multinational, spirit-led movement and go through the end of the age so that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is Jesus' long-term plan. The megachurch in Galilee, that's too small a vision for Jesus. What Jesus does next is lay the foundation for a world-changing new Community. You remember the beautiful community I talked about earlier? Jesus is creating a new community. Notice the number 12. 12. Had to be 12. It wasn't 11, and it wasn't 13. Jesus is establishing a new version of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel, who would glorify God by being the nation of his choosing to be a light to the rest of the world. And Jesus is doing Israel 2.0. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says these apostles that he chose would be the, in the very foundation of everything that we call the church. That the apostles and prophets are the foundation. We're built upon them. Now Jesus, the uh, book of Luke says that Jesus stayed up all night talking to his father before picking out the twelve. Jesus has one shot, one shot at laying the foundation. So who does he pick? When I look at that list, I don't know about you, but it looks like Jesus is asking for trouble. I found a little um, document, an ancient document from uh, Jordan Management Consultants. To Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop, Nazareth 25922, from Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, such as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. Now, here's the fun part. 
It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, please place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both have registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well, he has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Now, we know Jesus did not consult anybody but his father about this But it kind of shows you that this is a motley crew. He chose some pretty messy people. And in a way, isn't that the way he chose you and me? Paul said, think about how you were called. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were rich. Not many of you were terribly smart. Thanks a lot, Paul. But God chose the weak to shame the strong. God chose the foolish to to shame the wise. So that in everything, God will get the glory and no person can boast. That's the way we're all called of Jesus. We're all kind of a motley crew. We're all kind of a bunch of complicated messes. Am I the only one? Good, okay. Simon Peter. Peter's the guy who says what everybody else is thinking, whether it's a good idea to say it or not. When things get heated up and got dangerous, he denied three times that he even knew Jesus. James and John, the sons of thunder. These are two boys full of zeal and compassion and testosterone. They're the guys tearing up the boulevard on dirt bikes and four-wheelers pulling wheelies. You know what I'm talking about. They wanted to call down fire from heaven when they felt dissed by the Samaritans. Their mom, Mrs. Thunder, (laughs) comes to Jesus and says, I want my boys to be the two top officials whenever you get to be king. And how about this combination? You have Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, who hit up his own people to make the Romans rich and make himself rich. And you got Simon the Zealot, who believed the only good tax collector is a dead tax collector. And now they have to live together, and they have to work together, and they have to eat together. And do service with Jesus together. They're in church together. Jesus, you are asking for trouble. A few more names. 
And then it says Judas, who betrayed him. Strangely, this choice is one of the easier ones to understand. Because at the right time, when Jesus' hour had come, there had to be a mole in Jesus' inner circle to fulfill the prophecies about Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of his people. As the, as the, the 12 tribes of Judah had to consistently and constantly offer up sacrifices of innocent animals so that their sins would be forgiven, the one perfect, spotless, holy, righteous Lamb of God offers his own blood, not the blood of animals, but his very own blood. As our great high priest, he offers himself, and he gives himself, and Judas had to be part of, of, of what happened there. Judas had to be the one who would hand him over to the authorities to be crucified so that we could be free from our sins, so that we could be called the righteous children of God, so that we could be free from the tyranny of the devil, so that we could walk before God and have holy communion with our Father through Jesus so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit and make an impact on this world that could never be done in any other way. Judas had to be there. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds You have been healed. Do you see what all comes from the cross where Jesus gave his life? It says that he bore our sins on the tree. That means that Jesus got judged and there's no judgment left for you. So our forgiveness flows from the cross. But he says, so that you might die to sin transformation flows from the cross too. He doesn't leave me the way I am, but he's making me more like him. He's making all of us more like Jesus. And then it says, by his stripes you are healed. Healing flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. Substantial healing in this life can be received from Jesus through his finished work on the cross. All those things flow from the cross of Jesus where he gave his life for his people. And because Jesus died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit, there is now a new community and we're part of it. It's called the church. We're called by God to point everybody to the one hope of the world, our Savior, Jesus. So, what became of this 12-person motley crew? Verses 14 and 15, it says that they were there so they could be with Jesus. In fact, I love it later on in the book of Acts, after the Spirit had been given and, the, and, the, and, and James and Peter and James and John are all out there preaching about Jesus Christ, it was noted that these were uneducated people, but that they had obviously been with Jesus. I want somebody to say that about me. You know, he's been with Jesus. 
They hung out with Jesus, and Jesus trained them to preach and do spiritual warfare. And then after Jesus gave his life, he sent the Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit that, working through unstable, bumbling Peter, turned him into the guy that led 3,000 people to Jesus with one sermon. And it was the Holy Spirit working that turned rough and ready James and John into faithful ambassadors for the kingdom. Do you know that James, the brother of John, was the very first apostle to give his life for the sake of the gospel? He was martyred. He was the first apostle to be martyred. And he did it willingly because Jesus is worth it. And John, his brother, the other son of thunder, is now called the apostle of love. Because he wrote so much about the love of God. Read John's writings. You're going to find out just how much. You're you're going to get a taste and a feel for how God loves you. And then he wrote the book of Revelation of how Jesus is going to complete the work of restoration. So, that same Holy Spirit is working in you. He's working in new life in this church. You are part of the spirit-led, worldwide, multicultural, multi-international, world-changing movement of Jesus that brings the power and the message of salvation and transformation and healing through the message of the cross. We're going to do amazing things as a church right here on the corner of D and the Boulevard. We're going to see people's lives change. We're going to see our own lives change. It's all a miracle. We're going to do amazing things. We're part of the restoration movement of God, and it won't be because of the five powerless Ps. Programs, politics, personalities, planning, and prestige. It's going to be because God is working by His Spirit, doing what only God can do. Doing it all through you, the church. And if that sounds exhausting to you, then go first to the shore of Galilee and ask Jesus to heal you. Because I know there are a lot of folks in here who've worked very hard and they're hurting. Some of them are really hurting. And wondering, oh, it sounds great to be, you know, think of myself as being part of a great move of God, but I don't think I've got any move left in me. Go to Jesus about that too. Go to Jesus for healing. Admit how desperately needy you are before him and and, and come to our, we got people who pray for you. People who will just take you straight to the throne of grace and point you to Jesus, who is the only one who can help you. And then others will find hope in Jesus through you. Then throw yourself into this thing that we call the church. Everything you do for the church of Jesus Christ is of great and ultimate and eternal importance. Every encouraging word you speak to a sister or to a brother, every time you point somebody to Jesus, that is of eternal importance. And everything this church does to love this community's children, as we've been doing, and love the community's families, bringing the hope and the joy and the reconciling power of Jesus to the homes around this place is of eternal significance. God is building something big, y'all. And we get to be part of it. 
we get to be part of that which is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and rises to become a holy temple in which God lives by his spirit and is there to point people to the only one who can do miraculous things in everybody's life. So do you remember that beautiful community I talked about before sin came into the world? I'm sorry we can't go back to that. We can't go back to Eden. But we can go forward. We can go forward. We can be a part of Jesus' restoration now. We can offer this world a taste of what it's like to be reconciled to a holy God. We can offer to this world a taste of what it's like to be reconciled to one another. Even people of different cultures who have bad blood in their histories. We can offer to the world a taste of what it's like for all different kinds of people from every tongue and tribe and nation to be unified by one Lord. We can offer to this world a blessed hope. Being part of Jesus' restoration, now looking ahead to the bodily return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back, y'all. He is our blessed hope, and he's going to bring us a new earth. And there will be nothing to cry about, nothing to get mad about, nothing to worry about, nothing to cuss about, but it's going to be a beautiful community with Jesus who is worthy to be praised, honored, adored, followed, and loved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to apply this to each of us. Okay. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who does amazing and miraculous things. You forgive us of all of our sins. You give us your record of righteousness as if we lived it. You give us transformation in our lives that we would never be able to pull off on our own. You set us free from addictions. You set us free from the tyranny of the devil. The very gates of hell will not prevail against the church as it marches and claims what Satan had stolen. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a joy in being part of your multicultural, multinational, worldwide, spirit-led movement of restoration and peace from the Prince of Peace himself. Lord, enable us, by your grace, to fully follow you with every aspect of our lives and our families and in our homes, in our church in our work life, the way we do our day-to-day work, may it be with a kind of joyous integrity that finds its hope in Jesus. And may Jesus be honored through the corporate witness of this church and through our individual testimonies as we go out into the world this week. Use us, O Lord, and we will give you all the glory And all the praise, for you are worthy of it all. Amen.